Mark 14, 27. I want to read it first, and then I'm going to talk about what my title means, and then where we're going to go with this passage of Scripture. If you have a notebook or a way to take notes, please do, because we've got some, some good things to look at. But look at verse 27 with me. Let me read it first, then I'll talk about it. On the way, Jesus told them to his disciples, all of you will desert me, for the Scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, that this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others, the other disciples, vowed the same. So I want to stop right here. Where we are in Mark's gospel, we're going to finish the, Mark, the, the gospel of Mark here in December, and then we're going to start something new in, in the new year. But where we are, Jesus is close to his crucifixion, burial, and then resurrection again. This is the final week that Jesus has here on this planet Earth. And as they're going back and forth to Jerusalem, this is right before Jesus would be arrested and then falsely accused and tried and then crucified. So in this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples, before I go to die, I will be raised back to life. But before that, you're all going to scatter. You're all going to disown me. You're going to deny me even. And Peter, he's always the, the kind of the, the disciple that had his foot in his mouth. He always said something and didn't really back it up. And he was always kind of the forerunner talking first. And he says, Jesus, hey, if any of those guys desert you, I never will. And I really think Peter meant it. I really do. But it's easier said than done, right? Even in our Christian life, it's easier to say, God, I'm going to follow you. And then something tragic happens. It's like, ah, can I, can I just come back to you on that? Something else happened, and I'm just going to wait. So Peter's really in the front saying, Jesus, if, if all of these other guys desert you, I don't know how close you are with them. I know you and I are, are good broskies or whatnot. I'm not going to desert you, okay? I'm not going to desert you. But look what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, actually, before the rooster crows twice, you were going to deny me that you even know me. And you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter, I think, because he's, he's almost told by Jesus, hey, you're going to do this. Peter says, uh, no, I already told you I'm not going to desert you. And then even if I die with you, I'll never deny you. That's a bold statement Peter makes. And he actually breaks both of them. The same with the rest of the disciples. Look what it says here also at the, at the end of verse 31. And all the others vowed the same. Jesus will never desert you. Jesus, we will go to you to your death. Jesus will never deny you. We love you. We're your followers. We're here for you. And that same night, when Jesus went to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had his disciples keep watch and stay awake. They couldn't. All right? All of us, we shouldn't point the finger because we'd probably be in the same spot. We'd fall asleep. It's late in the night, and Jesus says, wake up, I need you to keep watch. And then Judas, with the Roman centurions, come and arrest Jesus. And as they arrest him, there's this riot that breaks out, but afterward, look at verse 50. Chapter 14, verse 50, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away, just as Jesus predicted. Just as he said, you're all going to desert me tonight. And they were like, we're not going to desert you, we're good, Jesus, we got you. Oh, when the Romans show up, when Judas betrays him, then they're like, yeah, let's get out of here. They run. 
They betray him. But my point is for today, we're going to look at Peter in this, in this last week before Jesus goes to the cross. And the slippery slope syndrome that I put on here, it's that Christianese term of a slippery slope. When you start out great, but then you make little compromises or things start to, to not go well in your life and you're down a slippery slope. I don't know if any of you has ever heard of that, that concept of I'm not on a good path, I'm actually going downward. And there's a pattern to it. And Peter is called out by Jesus, just as he predicted, and Peter then denies him. So we're going to look at this, but real quick, look at this verse with me real quick that Paul says in 1 Corinthians. This is kind of the theme verse for tonight's study. Memorize this verse. Let it be encouraging and convicting to you. If you think that you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. This is a great verse for every single Christian, for every single person in this room. If you think that you're so high and mighty that no sin can ever captivate you and take you down, you better think again. Because the moment you start thinking, I'm good, I'm solid, you become proud, and that's the very thing that Satan can use to twist it and then have us fall. Many wise and good Christian men and women that were solid for the Lord made little compromises, sinned, and then fell. The reputation blown. We, we read all about it. We hear about it on the news. Big Christian celebrities or pastors. One wrong move. And they fall. Now God can always redeem them. God can easily forgive them. They have to be repentive. But it's, just a, it's a good verse for all of us. For you guys as teenagers, as high schoolers, to remember. If you think that you're good with the Lord, you better think again and be wise. And be careful not to fall. Because the moment we get proud and think, this, will, this could never happen to me. I would never do that sin. That's probably the number one sin you will commit. It's very interesting. The way we will say, well, I would never do that. I can't believe they did that. I would never do that. All of us have said that. Or we've thought it. And then that's probably the very sin that we end up doing. So if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. That was Peter. Peter said, Lord, I'll never desert you. I'll never deny you. Peter, be careful, because you're actually going to deny me three times that you ever even knew me. Peter's like, I would never do that. I would die for you first. And we're going to learn a lesson from Peter in this story. And we can take it to heart for for all of us as well. So let's look at the first thing that we're going to see in this slippery slope of Peter. So look at with me in verse 53. So let's, let's jump to verse 53 and let's read kind of the rest of the passage. So it says here, they took Jesus to the high priest's home, they've they've arrested Jesus, where the leading priests, the elders, the teachers of the religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, this is key, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. And there he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Now jump to verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by, noticed Peter warming himself by the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, and then he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. That's the first crow of the rooster. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them, one of his disciples. But Peter denied it again. A little, a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man that you're talking about. 
And immediately the rooster crowed the second time, just as Jesus said. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Very touching passage in in Mark's gospel. This is a, a moment in Peter's life which would probably be the lowest of his life. It's hard to believe almost Peter and the other disciples actually walking and living with Jesus for at least three years. And then Peter saying, I I never knew this guy. I never knew him. I never knew him. I want to look at three incidents that took place, and I want to see if you guys caught them. Three incidents that took place to where it led to Peter's fall and sin, where he wept, and I believe he repented in that weeping, and Jesus would restore him. We're going to look in that at, at the end of this. But look at the first thing that Peter does on this slippery slope. Number one, he follows Jesus at a distance. And what do I mean by that? Look again in verse 40, uh, 54, the first part. It says in verse 44, Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. I want to stop right there. He followed Jesus at a distance. Now we have to remember, everyone deserted Jesus at the garden. Everyone deserted him. And then as they're taking Jesus to the temple, to the high priest to be tried and accused, Peter, it says that he must have followed Jesus from a distance. Probably to see what's going on, probably to see what they're going to do to Jesus, probably going to see, are they going to accuse him, are they going to let him go? Because it was a false trial. He had done nothing wrong. But Peter's at a distance. Where are the other disciples? They had fled. They're probably all still together. But Peter took the initiative to kind of be at a distance. Well, at, at hindsight, it does kind of look good. Well, at least, at least Peter's close by to Jesus. At least Peter's close by. He's, he's there. He can see there where Jesus is. But when you read more of the story in the context like we did, Peter followed him at a distance, but he kind of just wanted to blend in with the crowd. That's exactly what he was doing. And when we distance ourselves from Jesus, it's, to make a prop, it's, it's hard to make a proper stand for him at a critical time. See, what do I mean by this is our slippery slope can happen in our lives when we start to distance ourselves from Jesus. You ever been in that place where you feel like, I don't feel like I'm that close with Jesus and I feel like he's far away. Why is there this gap and this distance between us? And you have to remember, and I've got to be mindful of this as well, that Jesus has never distanced himself from us. We have always walked away from him. He is right there ready to receive us back when we turn around, make that 180 in our life, and go toward him. He's always been there, but we've turned our back on him and have started walking the other way. And it's a good reminder of us that Peter is following Jesus, but he's at a distance. Why isn't Peter close by to Jesus? Why isn't he there in the temple? Why isn't he there saying, hey, I'm with Jesus, you're accusing him, it's false accusations, you shouldn't be doing this. That's where he should be, but instead, I'm going to distance myself, I'm going to blend in with the crowd, I don't want people to know who I am. That's exactly what he was doing. And that's exactly how we can start playing that game in our minds as well. When we distance ourselves from Jesus, it's hard to make a proper stand for him at a critical time. So in your life, if you're starting to distance yourself from Jesus and walk away from a relationship with him, saying, I don't know if I really want to do this. I'll still have kind of one foot in the church, but I'm slowly going to be moving away. I don't want people to know I'm a Christian. That can start playing in our mind. Little compromises can start creeping up in our mind. 
And then when we're far away from him, we become ashamed of him. Why is it that Paul says in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of Christ for salvation. It's the power to save lives. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. Why would he say that? It's because he knows deep down every one of us can have that little inclination of, I'm a little ashamed of who I am in Christ. I think we've all been there. Maybe you're going through it right now. Where Christianity is not really a popular thing to, to be a part of. I can't bring my friends to church, so if they don't want to come, I don't really want to come as well. We start making these little compromises, and then we start following Jesus at a distance. It's a slippery slope that Peter starts going down. Number two, it gets worse. He starts to sit with the ungodly. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 54, the second sentence. It says, there he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Warming himself by the fire. Now, if you jump to verse 65, notice how it says he warmed himself by the guards. Who are the guards? It's the temple guards that arrested Jesus in the first place. They're by the fire outside the temple. Some of them are. Some of them are in the temple. But they're the ones who've arrested him. They're not good. They're ungodly Roman centurions who don't believe in Jesus and they worship false gods. Peter's with them and he sits with them. Not only does he want to be close with them, he actually sits down with them, warms himself by the fire. I'm just kind of like blending in the crowd while I can, I can keep one eye on Jesus and kind of just keep my distance. That's what he's doing. But he, now he's sitting down with the Roman centurions. Now, how do we know that they were these ungodly, wicked people? It's because look at verse 65. Then some of them begin to spit at him, spit at Jesus. They blindfolded him, beat him with their fists, and they say, prophesy to us. They jeered. They're taunting him. Prophesy to us, Jesus. And the guards, there's that same word, slapped him as they took him away. They don't love Jesus. They don't care that he's this Messiah. They're just doing their daily duty. They're, they're bringing him to the courts to get tried and, and somewhat crucified then. And Peter's sitting with those people. Now, sitting in the Bible always has a symbolic connotation of you're fellowshipping with them. Whenever you sit down with someone and have a meal... You're communing with that person. You're fellowshipping with them. You're hanging out. If you're kind of standing on the outside and just like watching the crowd, that's one thing. But once you get nearer and nearer and then you say, hey, I, I kind of want to fit in with this crowd, and then you sit down, that's a different story. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. If you want to go there, if not, I'll just read it to you. But Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 is a famous psalm where it talks about, I'm paraphrasing, that it says, oh, how happy, or oh, how blessed are those that do not do these things. That stand with sinners and that sit with mockers. Mockers of who? God. Oh, how happy is that person who doesn't do these things. Stand with them, sit with them, fellowship with them. We should not be a part of that. And that's exactly what Peter is doing. Peter found fellowship and even warmth by the fire in the company of the ungodly. The ungodly. Rather than be with his disciples, he wanted to see, he wanted to seem just like the crowd and not a follower of Jesus. Does anybody kind of feel like I've been there before? You know, this should maybe hit home with all of us. Maybe we've kind of been there, whether we kind of sensed ourselves going down that wrong path and I want, to, I want to go the opposite way or we got sucked in really well 
It was hard to get out of that situation. Because here's the slippery slope for our pattern. Once you're at a distance with Jesus, that's a bad thing right there. But number two, then you start sitting with the ungodly people. Translation for us today, you start hanging out with the wrong crowd. It's a good application for us to understand. And it's a, it's a, a domino effect. When you stop hanging out with Jesus and fellowshipping with other Christians that are going to build you up, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have friends that aren't believers. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. All of us should have friends that aren't believers in the sense that we're trying to persuade them and witness to them and bring them to church and be Jesus toward them. But if we're just blending in with them, the Bible says stay away from that. Peter's distancing himself from Jesus, and now he's actually sitting with the ungodly. He's sitting with them. He's fellowshipping with them rather than be with his own disciples or be right there at the doors of the temple watching Jesus, praying for him. Letting people know, I'm a follower of this guy. I'm not going to blend in with the crowd here. And then as he's sitting down at the fire, that's when the denial starts happening. And that's the third and final one of the slippery slope. He denies Jesus. And that's for each and every one of us in our Christian life. If we're not careful, if we're not careful of who we are in Christ and where we're going, you can see yourself, you almost see the writing on the wall. Man, I haven't really been reading my Bible. Haven't been really going to church. Haven't really been feeling this fellowship with Jesus, and I don't really feel like I have a strong relationship with him. Okay, that's number one. You're now distant from Jesus. And I'm going to tell you how to get back on track. But number two... Well, if I'm really distant from Jesus, I might as well just hang out with the crowd. That's more popular, more accepting, and I can just blend in because I don't really want to stick out as a Christian. That's step number two. Number three usually always happens. If you're with that wrong crowd, you start denying that you even know Jesus. Verses 68, verse 70, and verse 71 are all his denials. Look what he says. Verse 68, I don't know what you're talking about. That's number one. Number two, look at verse 70. He denied it again when someone asked that this is definitely one of the disciples. But then number three, someone, a bystander, confronted him and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Now, what does that mean? I, thought, I find this kind of interesting. He, he notices that he's a Galilean. Where is Jesus right now? Where, are, where is everybody? The temple is located where? So shout it out. Jerusalem. Galilee is north of Jerusalem, many miles north. And it's almost like a, like a thing where you can tell how people look, where they're from, all right? Now, I can say this because my distant relatives are from West Virginia. You can definitely tell a difference between West Virginians and Virginians. I'm just saying, there's a difference, all right? I'm a Virginian, but my ancestors are West Virginia, um, I'm just going to leave it there. Anyway, if you're from West Virginia, I'm glad, to, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. You've got, say, hillbilly rednecks and just the Loudoun County rich and famous. I'm not saying I'm a part of that, all right? But you can tell a difference. You can tell a difference. That's a good one. Western Loudoun versus Eastern Loudoun. Totally different. Totally different. Save your questions later. Sorry. Oh, right. Hey, we'll, we'll save the history lesson for later. 
Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Abe Lincoln. We'll talk about that later. All right. My, my point is, here's my point. Shh, let's bring it back. I love my West Virginia family. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. All right. But look what they say. They recognize him, and he says, you're a Galilean. So they know, you're not from Jerusalem. You don't really look like one of us. You don't talk like one of us. You don't act like one of us. You look like you're from the north, Galilean. And look what he says here. Peter swore. Some translations say that he started cursing. Started cursing. And he says, a curse on me if I'm lying which he is. I don't know this man that you're talking about. He had had enough. He had enough. They've asked him a third time. I've seen you with him. You're one of his disciples. You're not from around here. You're from Galilee. I know that's you. He says, enough, enough. And some translations say he started cursing. How many of us have been in that situation? And then he says, thank you for your honesty. And then he's in a situation now where he says, I don't know that man. Now, in the, one of the other Gospels, and I'm drawing a blank on which one it is, it says that Jesus had a vantage point where he could actually see Peter. Because remember, Peter's at a distance. And it says when Jesus looked at him, instantly Peter remembered what he said. Because look what he says here. Suddenly, in verse 72... Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And then he broke down and wept. I want to read this to you real quick. Distancing ourselves from Jesus can lead to this, and it's actually on the screen. Distancing ourselves from Jesus can lead to fellowshipping with the wrong crowd, which usually, not always, but usually, leads to denial of knowing or even following Jesus altogether. You see the slippery slope now? You see that, why this is so dangerous? You see why Peter's a perfect example of a good, godly, Christ follower, a Christian, who can easily go down this path? I don't know if you've been down this path before, or you're in it now. But I do plead with you, to turn the other way. To turn the other way. You have to take responsibility for your actions of where you're going. No one forced Peter into this. He did it himself. Distancing yourself from Jesus, you and I can do that. That's easy, right? You know what's really hard? Reading your Bible every day. That's hard. Not reading your Bible every day? Easy. We all do it. So when we start distancing ourselves and make it a habit now that I can still be a Christian without reading my Bible, I can still be a Christian without going to church, I, I would start questioning that. Try, try that for a long time and see what happens. You will start going down a slippery slope. If you're not built up in the faith by other believers and not reading God's word, you cannot survive spiritually. You just can't. So when you distance yourselves, you start hanging out with the wrong crowd. Because I just want to fit in. I want to blend in. I don't want anyone to know I'm a Christian. I want to blend in it. Now, I've been there. And that usually then leads, thank God I never went down this path, denying that you even know Jesus or that you're a Christian. Thank the Lord I never went down that path, but I have done the first two. 
I started distancing myself from Jesus, thought everything was cool. And number two, I was at that point where I started sitting with the ungodly. Right there in the middle. Then the Lord spoke to me. I did not want to go down that path of denying him. Don't go down that path of denying Jesus. Thankfully, Peter was reminded of Jesus' words, where it says that his, the words flash through Peter's mind. Isn't that true? Whenever we're sinning, sometimes the Bible, God's word, will just flash through our minds. Who is that? It's the Holy Spirit. He's reminding you and I, hey, you're not doing the right thing. Let me remind you of this. Go down this path. Forsake this. Follow Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Thankfully, Peter was reminded by the Holy Spirit. And then he was two things. He was convicted and he wept. Look at, look at the end of verse 72. He broke down and he wept. It's conviction. It's conviction. And it's weeping over his sin. He had sinned. He even told Jesus, I'm not, I'm not going to deny you. I won't desert you. Well, you're 0 for 2. He did both of those. And he goes through with it, starts cursing. Then he remi- he's reminded of Jesus' words. He's convicted and he wept. I pray and I hope all of us are like that when we're going down a slippery slope of sin. That the Holy Spirit can just take us back. But repentance always has to be, you have to be broken, which he was. He was broken and he wept. Are you weeping over your sin? If you're not, you need to ask yourself, well, why, why am I numb to this? Why, why do not, I don't feel any emotion? It's because Satan has deceived all of us thinking that everything's okay. When it's not, all he gives us is empty promises. He never tells us of the consequences. Am I right? Sin is pleasurable at the moment. But the consequences are deadly. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So we got to start playing the game. Of I can go as far as I can. How far can I go still be following Jesus when we need to take a lesson from Peter and be convicted and weep over our sin? The good news is, though, if you guys know your Bibles in Acts, Peter would be restored and he became one of the greatest preachers and apostles of the early church. He writes First and Second Peter. He's mentioned in Galatians as well. And in Acts, he's one of the most dominant preachers and speakers of the early church. Many people get saved. Peter preaches a sermon of like 50 words, and 3,000 people get saved. You don't tell me God didn't restore that man. God restored him, and the Holy Spirit was working through him. 3,000 people get saved just on a Sunday morning. Of him preaching. That's powerful. But I don't think he would have been that same person if he hadn't gone through this. I do believe Peter meant well. And I do believe a lot of us mean well. I know many of you. There's some of you I don't know personally, but there's a lot of you I do know personally. I know you mean well by following Christ. You want to do the right thing. You want to live for him. But then there's temptations, compromises that creep into our life saying, why don't you try this? Just give it up. For Peter to be restored again and to be one of the greatest preachers gives me, and I hope you as well, hope that God can take anybody that's gone so far and just flood them with grace. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says, no matter how deep we've gotten our sin, 
God's grace goes deeper. He will reach you at your lowest point. There's nowhere that God can't reach you with his grace. And God did this for Peter. It's a good lesson for all of us, but I want to ask you the question, have you gone down the slippery slope that Peter did? Or the other question is, are you going through that now? The reality is, I'm not going to be up here to judge you. I would pray you would never judge somebody else, and I pray you would never judge me. We're all under the same umbrella of we're all sinners, and we all fall short of God's standard. So that's every single one of us. But the thing is, we have to ask ourselves, have I gone down the slippery slope and I never want to go down it again? I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what, even though it's going to be painful sometimes, it's going to be hard. Or are you entertaining it right now? Maybe I'm speaking to just one person and that's worth it then. You're entertaining that thought of, well, I don't really have a strong relationship with Jesus right now anyway. I might as well just find the crowd that can accept me for who I am and I don't really have to share my faith. But then you go to number three, which is the most dangerous, where you start, ah, you know what, I, I'm not even following Jesus. I don't know who he is. I don't really go to church. It's so easy to start doing that. But I plead with you, not just as your youth pastor, but as a brother in Christ. I've seen people go down that path, and it leads to nowhere. It leads nowhere. So as your youth pastor and as a brother in the Lord, I plead with you, turn around. Go the other way. Peter shouldn't have been at a distance with Jesus. He should have been right there with him. Peter shouldn't have sat down with the ungodly. He should have been speaking up in faith and being bold in his faith in Jesus. And then lastly, he should never have denied him. But the fact of the matter is he did. And he learned from it. See, a lot of people can go down this slope and they feel like, I'm just stuck in here and I can never be redeemed. That's the furthest thing from the truth. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You can be redeemed. God restored this man. But he was broken and wept. He repented. And God would use him for his kingdom. The same can be for you and I. So there is good news. There's good news. Where Jesus succeeds I'm sorry, where Peter fails, Jesus succeeded. Peter failed in this. Jesus succeeds. I love what the NLT and the New King James says for Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The NLT says, for God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. In the New King James Version, most of us may know this, for he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Amen? Jesus will never fail you. Peter failed in this. Jesus will never deny you. Peter failed in this. Jesus will never forsake you or abandon you. And if that doesn't comfort your heart, I don't know what will. But Jesus is our perfect prize that all of us need to strive for. And that promise that he gives, that's a promise. and He's never going to break it. If you feel distant from the Lord, if you feel like there's no turning back, I'm at the point of no return, think again. God can use you again. All the people in the Old Testament, really, and in the New Testament, were messed up people that God used. God did not look at the wise people like, wow, that's the good Christian, I'm going to take him or her 
and use her or him for my kingdom. No, he actually took the lowest of the low and used them. And used them. He can do the same for you and I. He's never going to fail you. He's never going to leave you. And he'll never deny you. The question is, will you do that to him? And I pray none of us do. So I want to pray right now. I don't want every head bowed, eyes closed. We're going to end a little early tonight and just hang out and fellowship. But I hope this hits home for all of us, really. I hope it's challenging to see when I was even studying this, this passage, just seeing how our sin can become a domino effect. And it's so true that we can look at hindsight and see, wow, you know, God spared me there or God took care of me there because I was ready to go down this path that was not good. Or maybe some of you have a testimony now where you can say, hey, I've been there and I want to just share there's nothing good out of going down that path. Follow Jesus because he's everything you and I need. But when I was studying this, just looking how low Peter was getting and then it came to the point where he wept and was broken and I never want to get to that point but it's good to know that Jesus' grace goes deeper than that and he lifted him back up he can do the same for you and I he can do the same for you and I let's pray bow our heads, close our eyes give this to the Lord so I want to pray for a specific people in this room. So Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I don't want to single myself out or the leaders out versus everybody in this room. Lord, we're all, we're all sinners. And we all need your grace. And we can never meet your perfect standard. So that's the bad news. But the good news is you sent your son Jesus to meet with us to die for us, and to make us like Jesus. But Lord, there's some people in this room, maybe just one person, or maybe a majority, that are in this slippery slope of sin, and some of them don't know how to get out. And Lord, I pray by the name of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit that you would help them, take them out of this pit, turn them around, Allow them to be broken. God, help us to weep over our sin. If we're not weeping over sin, then how are we even walking with you? You want us to be broken. So God, help these individuals, Lord, in this room, myself included, to not even go down number one of the slippery slope, not even to distance ourselves, Lord. If we're continually in your word, being encouraged by other believers at church, having Bible studies, or whatever it may be to just be focused on you, then, Lord, you've got us. You've got us by the hand, and you're going to walk with us. But, Lord, shame on us if any of us have been ashamed that we bear the name of Christ. God, if there's anyone in this room that is ashamed of who they are in Jesus, I pray that would wipe, them, wipe that from their mind, that the enemy would have no place in that, that they would be proud to carry the name of Jesus, a Christian, a follower of Christ, because we have the gospel. 
we have salvation. We have the hope of eternal life. Other people that don't know you, they don't have that. So Lord, help us to weep and to pray for them. Help us to be good witnesses and not just to blend in with the crowd, but to stand out. Since Peter didn't do that, he sat with the ungodly. Help us to never do that, Lord. Help us to stand up for truth, to stand up for righteousness, to stand up in our faith, to not sit down and get too comfortable with the ungodly and the immoral things of this world. And Lord, help us to never, God forbid, to never get to that place where we deny you, that we, don't even, that we say we don't even know you, that we say, I've never been a follower of Christ. Help us to never get to that point. But Lord, we know, just as Peter did, you still can restore and heal. So God, I pray for those individuals in this room, and with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want anyone in this room, without looking around, just to slip up your hand to say, Pastor Tyler, I need help in this, and I need, I need prayer. This is not a salvation thing. This is just a daily walk thing that I need help. I don't want to go down the slippery slope anymore. I've been making some small compromises. I've been distancing myself. I've been hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I know it. So if that's you, I want you to slip up your hand because I'm going to pray for you. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation to save lives. So Lord, with those hands raised... I pray a special prayer over those individuals that are vulnerable and honest, like, God, I need help. I need help in my walk with you. Take me from the slippery slope and put me on a rock, which is you, a strong foundation. Help me not to make little compromises. Help me to see sin for what it is and walk away. Help me to be broken over it and not proud. Help me to turn the other cheek, as your word says. Help me to not give in to what culture demands or social media or anything that demands something of of me that is not of you. Help me to fight the good fight. So, Lord, for the rest of us, go before us in the name of Jesus as we finish out this school week, as we get ready for winter break. God, help us to be men and women who stand firm in the faith and to not start to drift down a slippery slope that ultimately may lead to death. God, watch over us, we pray. We love you. We thank you for this time. And I thank you for these students in this room, Lord. Go before them. Raise them up. Encourage them. Challenge them and remind them that you love them so much. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.